by surrendering our lives once again and completely to you and your word. We ask that you would take over each part of our service and be glorified in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take our hymn books here in 468. We sprung a song on Brother Franz that he does not know, and so you're going to learn this one. 468. If you don't know this one, learn it with me. Beautiful hymn. And remember, we're singing to the Lord this morning. I have found us grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. While I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free, yes, free indeed. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. All the half has never yet been told. How many of that's the first time you've sung that song? Oh boy. Okay, let's do that first verse one more time and then we'll try to get a few others. All right, here we go. I have found his grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. While I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free, yes, free indeed. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. Speakable and full of glory, all the half has never yet been told. I have found the pleasure I once craved, it is joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing I am saved. From the awful gulf of sin, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full glory, all the half has never yet been told. I have found that hope so bright and clear, living in the realm of grace. Oh, the Savior's presence is so near. I can see his smiling face. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. The half has never yet been told. I have found a joy no tongue can tell how the ways of glory roll. It is like a great or flowing well springing up within my soul. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable. Glory, all the half has never yet been told. How many believe those words you just sang? Isn't that a beautiful hymn? Let's do that course one more time. We got time this morning. Here we go. It is joy unspeakable and full of, sing it out, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Half has never yet been told.
let Franz lead the next one there. Wood, and let's turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to jump around just a little bit in the scriptures this morning. Hebrews chapter 1. Tell Linda that's okay, we'll fix it for next week. And uh, Hebrews chapter 1. And just by way of introduction, last week we talked about Jesus Christ being our high priest. This week is Jesus Christ, the great prophet. Now, as we think of these different titles and these different offices Jesus fulfilled, of course, in our own mind and reasoning, we say, well, of course, Jesus was the greatest high priest. We know there was nobody compared to him. And it's pretty easy as we look through the scriptures last week to see all of the things that Jesus did to fulfill that office. And next week, Lord willing, we'll be looking at Jesus as the coming king. And uh, that one is very simple to see in the scriptures as uh, it talks about the, the Prince of Peace. Of course, is Jesus Christ ruling from the city of peace, which will be the new Jerusalem. But when we get to this idea of Jesus as the prophet, we kind of... Just skip over that. And so I want to give us some background here and what a prophet really is. And of course, we know Jesus is the greatest of everything because he is God. Amen. There's no one that can compare. But Jesus is the greatest prophet in all the scripture. The second greatest prophet is probably that of Moses. He gave us God used him to give us Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the 613 commandments of the Old Testament law, the building of the first tabernacle, the destruction of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, there's just so many things in the life of Moses, and we'll be getting to that in a minute. But I want you to look with me, Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to read the first uh, few verses here, starting in verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, if you were here several years ago when we went through the book of Hebrews, uh, we went through this book verse by verse, and it took us an awful long time. I think it was close to a year and a half as we went through the book of Hebrews. But uh, for sake of the Bible study, I like to call Hebrews God's switchboard. It's where all the connections are made in the scriptures. This is the book that you have to understand if you're going to understand your Bible. It is the one that makes the New Testament and the Old Testament one Bible. And so we look here, and in, in verse 1 it says, God who at sundry times... Now how many of you are old enough to remember what a sundry store is? 
Okay, I see a few heads going up and down. And uh, every once in a while, driving through rural uh, Pennsylvania, where my parents are from, it, there'll still be a sign-up, sundry store. Uh, we look at our King James Bible and we say, well, that's an old word. What does it mean? Well, it just simply means many different things. God, who at many different times, a sundry store is a store that stocks a lot of different things. We call them department stores today. Uh, but the sundry store had a lot of different things in it. God, who at sundry at different times and in divers, modern English, diverse, different ways, in different manners, spake, un, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now those prophets were very different. You read the Old Testament prophets. You look through the book of Judges, boy, those were some really unusual guys. And yet they brought deliverance to the children of Israel. And uh, you go through the prophets, you have Samuel. How about Jonah? Now you talk about a weird dude. Uh, Jonah was as strange a fella as you would ever hope to meet in this lifetime. If you saw Elijah, you would think you met uh, the uh, pastor from church in West Virginia. He calls them woolly boogers. And that's something that looks like it just crawled out of the mountain. And uh, there's some people like that around. And every once in a while, my kids go, Dad, is that a woolly booger? And, uh, well, no, New York City doesn't have them. Uh, we call them something else. I don't know what we call them. But, I mean, there's just all kinds. If you saw Elijah, you would think he was a wild man from the mountains. But Elisha, who took over for him, was as cultured a businessman as you would ever want. Isaiah came from the highest classes of Jewish society. And yet, Amos was a shepherd and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. You read all these different prophets and each one of them had a different message. And yet here the writer of Hebrews sums this up saying, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, God gave us all these different prophets, but the greatest of all the prophets is Jesus Christ. And I want us to get a little bit of background here and then we'll get into the message this morning. Let's go to the book of Deuteronomy. And this is Moses speaking. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses is summing up his life's work and the revelation of God that he has given. And of course, that's the first thing that a prophet does. A prophet, in the biblical sense, is not merely one who predicts the future. A biblical prophet is one who gives God's message that often concerns future things that have not happened yet. There are many prophets out there. It's like, you know, we, we often 
we'll run into the Jehovah's Witnesses cult as they go up and down the streets and stand in the subways. And, and if you ever want an example or an illustration of false prophets, just look up the history of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, Jesus was supposed to come back in this year. They bought a house for the worthies because Abraham and Isaac and all the patriarchs, it was, the house was actually in California. They didn't sell it until about 20 years ago. It was bought in the 40s and maintained by the religion to keep all of those people, when they resurrected from the dead, they were going to live there in that house. Uh, they finally gave up and sold it. Uh, they prophesied Jesus was going to come back three or four times. The last time, I believe, was in the early 70s. And they told their people to sell all their stuff and get ready because Jesus was coming back and he didn't come back. How many of you have heard of Harold Camping? Oh, man. He doesn't talk about his book, 1994, very much anymore. He's got a new one out. What is it? May 2011. Get ready. Because guess who ain't coming in May 2011? It's Jesus. Harold Campton's been wrong about everything he says. He says, I believe the Bible. He's wrong about that. He believes the writings of John Calvin is what he does. Be careful. A biblical prophet gives God's message. That is first and foremost. Many times God's prophets have given messages concerning things that would happen in the future. One of my favorite prophets is that unnamed prophet that came up to Jeroboam as he was instituting the new religion. And he said, there's going to come a child out of the house of David, Josiah by name, and he's going to desecrate this place. He's going to burn men's bones upon this altar and he's going to destroy it. It would be 300 years before Josiah was born. And yet that prophecy was fulfilled word for word in the scriptures. In fact, the old prophet, the villain of the whole story that deceived the young prophet and got him killed, had his words of that prophecy printed on his tomb. Because he knew when those words were fulfilled that all of this, the cemetery in that area would be desecrated and he didn't want his desecrated and so he put the words of the prophet on his tomb. And it tells us that when Josiah read the words, he said, wow, this talks about me. We'll leave this tomb alone. And he didn't bother the prophet or the dastardly old prophet that put him in there. God's word is full of God's message about future things that have not happened yet. In fact, somebody went and counted it up over, I believe the number they gave was nearly two-thirds of your Bible was prophecy when it was printed. I, I think that's a little high, but there, there's a lot of Scripture that foretold of future things. Now, I want you to look with me, Deuteronomy chapter 18. In verse 15, Moses is giving the last summary of God's law before he will be called home to heaven. 
And in verse 15, it says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me, unto him ye shall hearken. According to all that thou desirest of the Lord thy God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, neither let me see his great fire any more that I die not. And the Lord said unto me, They have well spoken that which they have spoken. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Now we see the Lord is speaking here. And he said, the Lord thy God is going to raise up a prophet from the midst of thee like unto me, like unto God. And then he goes down and he said, that prophet is going to be like unto thee, like unto Moses. Now the context is set for us right here. And this is why you need to be in Sunday school for our stories. How many of you remember the story of Mount Sinai? God came down on top of the mountain in a fire. It was like the fire of a furnace and the mountain shook and, and all of the people were terrified and God's voice spoke the Ten Commandments off of Mount Sinai in the hearing of the children of Israel. And it scared them so badly that they went unto Moses and said, Moses, will you go up and get those words from God so that we don't have to hear them because we're so afraid we're going to die? You know what God said? He said, you've well spoken. He said, you need to be afraid of who I am and my power. And what did they do when Moses went up to the top of the mountain? They made a calf and said, this is our God, the work of our own hands. And when Moses came down off the mountain, he broke the Ten Commandments at the foot of the mountain and God had to do the process all over again. But isn't it interesting that when God is talking about the greatest prophet he said, I'm going to raise him up from among thee that Jesus was so much of a man that the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests could not believe that he was God. Isn't it interesting how God brings these things full circle? He said, on Mount Sinai you were so afraid that you couldn't even listen to me speak. But when I showed up in earthly form, you were so unafraid of me that you nailed me to a cross. This is the greatest prophet that ever lived. But he was like Moses, was he not? But he was also like God. And he gave to us Things we could not know about God without Jesus walking in flesh among us. You see, the greatest job of a prophet was not to rebuke sin. 
but was to give God's message. Now let me tell you, God's never sent a message that has not rebuked sin. Amen? God's message rebukes sin, but God's message has always been from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden until the end of all time, God's message has always been, man, you have sinned, will you come back to me? Will you let me solve the problem of your sin? You know why Jesus was so against false religion? Because it was man's attempt to solve man's sin problem. Jesus said, the only way you're going to solve your sin problem is to let God do it. Amen? And many times through the New Testament was this passage used of Moses testifying of the prophet that would come. In fact, when they met John the Baptist, they said, are you that prophet? John said, no. They said, well, why do you baptize? You're not the Messiah. You're not that prophet. You're not that... And he said, I'm getting ready the way for the Messiah to come. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 11. And we have to understand that this passage is primarily talking about the millennial kingdom uh, as we talk about the Prince of Peace ruling from the city of peace. This is what this passage is primarily talking about. In verse 1 it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of understanding the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And we come down here uh, to verse uh, 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Matthew twelve twenty one says, And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Romans fifteen twelve says, And again Isaiah says, Isaiah, or Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him shall the Gentiles trust. And what was one of the main factors in separating the traditional Jewish religion from the religion of the Bible was the fact that Gentiles also believed, and God gave them equal standing with the Jewish believers of the Old Testament. And that was offensive to them. They thought you had to become Jews first. One of the key elements of all false religion is the importance of me. It's what you do as an individual that earns your way up. It's what happens in my church or my leadership. The evidence of true religion is it's all about Jesus. This is Isaiah's testimony. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13. 
Matthew chapter 13, and Jesus is giving testimony here, verse 49, I'm sorry. Yes, 53, Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. And it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence, and when he was come into his own country... He taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto him, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. You see, Jesus claimed to be a prophet as well. He said, I've come to give you the message. And we could go through so many passages in the Bible. He said, I'm giving you the truth that I got from God. And they didn't believe him, did they? In fact, the ultimate, let's go to John chapter 11. Lazarus had just been resurrected from the dead. Some of their own number was there, these Pharisees, religious leaders. They came back to report on it. And as they were debating and arguing among themselves on this whole thing, let's read verse 47, then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we, for this man doeth many miracles? If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not. Some of the strangest words in the entire Bible, verse 51, and this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Now, can you imagine this prophecy that Caiaphas made that Jesus should die for the nation and that he should gather together in one all the children of God that were scattered abroad? And what was their resolve at this prophecy? Let's kill him. Look at the next verse. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Now that's amazing to me. Here is the high priest who has prophesied that this person would die for the Jewish nation and not for them only, but that he would gather together in one all the children of God scattered abroad. Then he turns to the council and he said, Our part? is to kill him. That's what false religion will do for you, my friend. But I want you to understand that Jesus did not come 
to be the king the first time. He came to be the high priest and to offer himself the sacrifice for our sins. He also came to be the prophet to bring a message from God that we would have no way of comprehending except it came from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest of all prophets is Jesus Christ. Amen? Now just a few moments and we'll be done. Turn over just a page or two if you're still in John chapter 11 there to John chapter 15. This is the night Jesus was betrayed. He was speaking to his disciples. He was on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 13, one that we quote often, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That is the greatest love a human being can give. And I'll tell you, when I read those verses, I, I think of the history of this nation and how many of its men and women have given their lives over the years for the love of home and the peace that we enjoy today and the freedoms. We need to pray for our military all over the world. They're laying their life on the line so that we're not fighting here the battles they are fighting there. Pray for our soldiers. Pray for our military. Pray for the president that sends him where he does. But I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 5. And also I think of the history of the true church of Jesus Christ. And how many men and women and even children have laid down their lives so that they could just be true to this book called the Bible. God is the only one that knows how many believers are still in Soviet prison camps and their only crime was wanting to be baptized in Jesus' name. They were called political dissidents because they refused to be part of the state church. How many through the Middle Ages were tortured and killed? But no person in history has equaled the example of love that Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet in history, came to give us. Let's look in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, we'll start reading in verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How could we know the extent of God's love? without God himself coming in human flesh and not dying for his friends, 
but for his enemies. Because all the world with sin are at enmity or enemies of God. We were all born in Adam's likeness, defaced by sin in the garden. And at that at a time, as, we, as I look out over the auditorium, we're almost all beyond that age, just a few little ones here that have not gotten to that age of understanding where they would know the difference between right and wrong. But as we look at our lives, there's one thing that we can know. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now let's not get caught up in trying to find out how far short we have fallen. Amen? I've heard some men or people give testimony in my younger days and they'd say, man, before I got saved, I was a this and I was a that and I was a drunkard and I was a thief and I was this and, this, and Jesus saved me. Amen. And everybody go, oh, wow, what a testimony. You know, I think the greatest testimony a person could have is I gave my life to Jesus when I was a young child and His grace kept me from all of those things and my life is dedicated to a service. That's the greatest testimony. That's the testimony I want my children to have. That's the testimony I want for every young person that sits in the pews here of this church. We have enough people here that can tell you what sin will do in their lives. Isn't that true? Say, oh me, if that's true in your life. I can tell you what sin will do. Why do we reject the love of Jesus Christ? He did not die for me because I'm such a wonderful person. He died for me while I was still his enemy. Who could better illustrate that truth than the great prophet, Jesus Christ? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But I want you to look at another thing that Jesus taught us. He taught us of how great God's power is. Now, the writer of Romans, the Apostle Paul tells us we can look at creation and know there is a God. You have to go to school and you have to learn to be that ignorant to look at the order of this universe and say it got here by chance. That is a mathematical impossibility. To say that the complexity of human life originated by accident. Again, it's proven. It's a mathematical impossibility. But yet people still reject it. Why? Because they don't want to accept the power of God. Mark chapter 4, let me just read it to you. Most of you know the story. Jesus was in the boat. 
And he was sleeping in the back of the ship and the waves were filling the ship. And the disciples came unto him and said, Master, we perish. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? Well, read verse 41. And they feared exceedingly, saying one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? They weren't afraid because it stopped. They were afraid because it stopped when Jesus spoke. I mean, anybody can stand out there and say, I command the sun to rise tomorrow morning. I command the sun to go down early this evening. Oh, you can say that. But when Jesus spoke, the wind that was blowing stopped blowing. The waves that were washing into the ship and threatening the lives of those in the ship stopped. And everything was still. Wouldn't you be afraid of that person? I would. That would scare me to death. But it only got the disciples about halfway. That's why they were there and we're not. Amen. How about Mark chapter 5? How many of you know the story there? Let's turn to Mark chapter 5. We won't take time to read the whole story this morning. But in Mark chapter 5, in verse 2, it says, And he was come out of the ship immediately. There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken into pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains, in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when Jesus, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, could you imagine this whole area was terrorized by this one demon-possessed man? And no matter what they did, no matter how many times they caught him and chained him up, no matter what they tried to do to control him, they couldn't do it. He sees Jesus, and he comes running out of the tombs and falls on his face and worships him. Then he tells the demons that they can enter into the pigs and the pigs run down the sea and the pigs are smart enough to say, this is enough of this, amen. They drowned themselves in the sea and when the people saw this man sitting and in his right mind, they were so afraid of the power that was in this man that they asked him to leave. Later, as this demon-possessed man who was now freed from those spirits and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ went around through that area knocking on doors, telling people about what Jesus had done for him. They got to know him and realized he wasn't crazy anymore. Something had changed him. 
The next time Jesus visits, they bring every sick person in the whole area to be healed by him. It's an amazing story. Read the whole thing there in your Bible. But let me tell you, Jesus showed us, showed those people physically that he was living among and showed you and I today through their testimony his great power. As that... uh, uh, guard from the temple was sent to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane. And I I can just see these clowns marching out with their swords to arrest Jesus. And he just, he says, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And they all fall down on the ground. Do you think they could have arrested him if he didn't want them to? Peter gets out his sword and says, I'm going to protect you, Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I can kind of identify with Peter. You know, just kind of dumb, amen? How are you going to protect Jesus? But we'd like to try anyway, wouldn't we? He doesn't need us to protect him. He needs us to be under his protection. His words to Peter was, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? A Roman legion was 6,000 soldiers. 12 times 6 is 72, something like that. 72,000 angels. And one angel in one night killed 185,000 Syrian soldiers all by himself. You imagine what 72,000 of them things could get done? You'd have to send the cosmic street sweeper out and put the ashes of the earth into a dustpan and throw it away. But let me tell you, the power of 72,000 angels isn't even worthy to be compared to the power of the spoken word of the man standing in the garden. And yet, he lowered those hands and allowed them to be bound. He willingly offered himself to be spit upon and cursed and beaten and despised. You know, some of the greatest demonstration of real power in all of history is when someone has power. And refuses to use it. Amen. How would we know about this great power. Without Jesus having walked the physical earth among us. And yet the same being that had this great power. Also. Possessed this great love that he laid down his life for his enemies. And yet, this prophet came with one message. Let's go back to John chapter 6.
And I want us to read just a couple verses here. Verse 14. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. They were gathering the fragments together. The crowd was dispersing. Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Isn't that good? They understood that Jesus was the prophet that God was raising up, like unto God, like unto Moses, that the people would listen to. But I want you to skip down with me, because the same men that said that in verse 14 are the ones that ask him in verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto him, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. I got a question for you today. Jesus came with direct revelation from God. He taught us things in the way that he lived that we could have no other way of learning except looking at his life and watching him as he walked on this earth. He demonstrated God's love and God's power in a way that could not be demonstrated to any greater degree than were in the life of Jesus Christ. You say, if I could have only been there to see creation. No, wait a minute. That creator who spoke the universe into being withheld that power and allowed himself to die in our place because of his love. And we could go through passages and more scripture showing God's holiness and his justice and his purity and his simplicity and his just so many attributes of God that were made plain to us in the living person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question is, do we believe him? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We know these verses. Paul told the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You know, sometimes I think we talk so much about salvation that it almost becomes a trivial question in our minds, it's easy for us to say, well, I trust Jesus with my soul. Okay, do you trust him with tomorrow? Do you trust him with what's going to happen in our nation? Uh, Do you trust him with that horrible person you have to work with tomorrow? Do you trust him with that person who has hurt you and deceived you and lied to you? Do you trust him with that little child that he has given into your hands to raise and to nurture, to serve God, not serve you? Do you trust him with your future, 
do you believe in Him with your plans and your desires? You know, there's not a one of us that wouldn't like to see certain things happen in our lives. When's the last time you took out your wish list for your life and submitted it to the authority of this book called the Bible? That's what believing on Jesus is. As we approach Easter, we often are reminded of the physical sufferings of Christ. But he suffered those things so that we could be free from the suffering of the bondage of sin. And we, as believers in Jesus, go out and bind ourselves with the same sins that he died on the cross to forgive. This morning, I'm asking you to think about the message that Jesus brought. And ask him to apply it to your life personally. If you believe on the Jesus that the Bible teaches. It says if any man be in Christ he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold all things are become new. Does that verse describe your belief in the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, well, Pastor, I know I trusted Jesus as my Savior, but I'm just struggling right now with life. Well, what we really need to do is I'm struggling with believing in Jesus because that's the answer to every situation we face. Is it salvation? All you have to do is stop believing in everything else and just believe in Jesus. That's how you get saved. Give up. You say, but I don't understand all, everything that's in the Bible. Good. Only a fool would make that claim. The only people I've ever met that said they understand everything in the Bible are the people who don't believe it. I don't claim to understand everything in the Bible, but I do want to believe those parts that deal with me personally. That's God's power and love in my soul. Amen? God wants you to have that love and power in your soul. If you are struggling with situation, circumstance of life, whatever you want to put in there, Believe in the message of the greatest prophet and he'll give you that direction you need. No, it's not some mystical thing that'll... Oh, I had a dream last night and God showed me the answer to my problem. No, it's all written down right here. Don't go seeking extrasensory perception. You just might find some. You'll find out you don't like it because it's always a lie. The great deceiver can deceive you. But he can't deceive you if you're studying his word. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we have tried as much as lies within my ability to look at Jesus, the greatest prophet in all of history.
Lord, he was prophesied about from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. Lord, all of the things that the Bible tells us about Jesus are true. And yet, Lord, just as in John chapter 6, many of them that were willing to admit that he is that prophet were not willing to believe in him. Lord, we ask that you would help those that are here today that do not have the issue of salvation settled in their souls, between their soul and yours. But today would be the day of surrender to Jesus. That they would be willing to just lay everything else aside and trust only in Christ. Lord, You've said in your word that you're not going to take away our sin natures. You're just going to add to us the Holy Spirit. And yet we can quench that spirit and we can take that spirit and disregard the directions that are given to us. We can still sin against your word even though we are saved. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and to let us see. The issue is not an issue of temptation. It's an issue of belief. It's an issue of listening to the message that the prophet has given us. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts and lives that true biblical worship may be lived in our lives here together and as we leave and live our individual lives this week, that we would worship you with our thoughts and our deeds and our hopes and our wishes. Lord, that we would let you make us that new creature, that we would let the old things pass away and live in the new grace that you want us to enjoy each and every day as your child. Lord, let us never Forget thy great power and thy great love. Let us live in it each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together. Now, Brother Franz, come and lead us in the hymn of invitation. The altar is open if you need to come and pray. If you're not sure about your salvation, would you just look up this way as you come and we'll have someone take you to a private place and just show you what the Bible says about how you may know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. As we sing, would you come today? <laughs>